Good morning. Those of you who are part of the church family here will know that uh, we're on a journey and our destination in terms of being a church has been described in, in terms of three words. First is disciples, the second is being spirit-filled, and the third is being children of the kingdom. Disciples, spirit, kingdom. And we're in the middle of a, a short series of sermons on being disciples. If you're a visitor here, just please bear with us, but I believe God's got something for you too, if you are a Christian this morning. Andrew, two weeks back, set the scene for being disciples. If you remember, he talked about the Garden of Eden and how Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And how our goal in life, we heard it earlier from the Westminster Catechism, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our goal is to be in the closest possible relationship with, Jesus, with God. And to also talked about the fall, how Adam and Eve sinned, and that shattered their relationship with God. The way back to relationship with God is through the cross, through repentance, through faith, through accepting Jesus into our lives. We then start on a journey of a fresh relationship with God. So if you've not done that, if you're not a Christian this morning, a lot of what I'm going to say won't make a lot of sense, but I would really urge you to become a Christian. It's the best decision you could make in your life. We can explain how, you can learn how, come and find out, become a Christian. A Christian is a precondition of being a disciple. So what is a disciple? There's a dictionary definition that says a disciple is a follower and student of a mentor, teacher, or other figure. So two ideas, following and being a student or a learner. Some, some of the Bible's translations actually translate the word disciple, student. But today, we, I have this kind of mental image of a student as sitting in a, a lecture theatre and taking notes, and that's one kind of learning. But that's not really the kind of learning that I think the New Testament had in mind when he talked about being a disciple. And the way I want to illustrate it is, is this, that there are other areas where we talk about disciples. One is art. So, this is a 15th century Italian artist. I've given it away now. Anyone guess who this might be? You don't know your 15th century Italian artist, do you? Well, it's Michelangelo. Michelangelo was a genius, and he was a poet and an architect, but he's best known as being a painter and a sculptor, and he produced some wonderful works of art, uh, perhaps most noticeably, notably the, the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican. He painted the whole ceiling, you know, with that picture of Adam and creation. He was a genius. But he also had followers. And these guys, 
I'd never heard of, but um, looking them up, they were disciples of Michelangelo, Bronzino, and Bernini. And these are men who would have learned from him, not, not from a book, they would have worked with him. They would have seen how he chose his designs, how he sketched them out, roughed them out, how he would have mixed his paints, where he got his paints from, how he applied the paints to the frescoes, how he would have chosen a slab of marble, how he would have uh, carved it. They would have learnt in his presence. And on the job, they'd have done their own pieces. And eventually, they became quite well-known Renaissance artists of their own, doing paintings and sculptures in a similar style. Jesus said, no student is greater than his teacher, but he will become like his teacher. So we're talking about being disciples of Jesus, and this is the key verse I want to focus on today. It says, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, I want to put it to you today that I observe two types of Christians in our churches in this country, and maybe in other countries too. There are cosy Christians and there are committed Christians. What is a cosy Christian? (laughs) Maybe a Christian who, yeah, they believe, they may go to a church, they may pray, but they probably rarely read their Bible. They may to say go to a church, but they'll pick a church which suits them. Perhaps they like the pastor or leader, vicar. Perhaps they like the worship. Perhaps they like the the music group. Perhaps they like the youth group. There's something where, yeah, it's, it's nice for them. They don't ask, where does God want me to go to church? Where should I be serving? And not only that, they might not go to church that often. They might think, oh, Sunday morning, um, I'll go shopping instead. There's a lack of commitment because they want it to be comfortable. Perhaps with money, they'll give a little bit away, what's left at the end of the month, but they're not giving regularly They're not giving generously and sacrificially. And what about reaching out to others? I see many Christians who are just content to live within their own circle of friends and not make friends with others from the world. Many Christians only have Christian friends. That's cosy Christianity. Jesus didn't talk about cosy Christianity. He talked about being disciples. And disciples is 
hard work. Because being a disciple means you say to the Lord, I will put you first in every area of my life. You are the Lord. I'm your follower. Is Jesus Lord of all your life? I'll give you another illustration. Oh, sorry, before, before I go any further. Yeah, that previous, that previous um, picture was very a solo, wasn't it? A solo climber, and it's, it's a bit lonely. Actually, as disciples, we're not solo. We're, we're in a team. We're in a, a church. We're in amongst brothers and sisters. We're part of a worldwide church. We are actually roped together. And next week, Andrew, I hope, is going to pick up on this <laughs> and say how we can encourage one another together as disciples. So it's not a solo activity. But I'll give you another illustration. I'm a football fan. I'm actually a Tottenham Hotspur Spurs fan. So Oliver in his Man United shirt is, you know, arch enemy number one. But uh, Spurs are doing well. They're uh, third in the Premiership and they've um, uh, got the second best defence record and they've got two of England's top strikers. So I'm very proud to be a Spurs fan. But at the end of the day, I'm a, an armchair. Spurs fan. I will watch Spurs on TV. I'll go with Dave and Chris down the pub and I'll watch on a television screen. But it's a cosy type of fan. If you're a real Spurs fan, you're in the crowd. You're watching the games. You're singing the chants. You're cheering. You're following all the team news. And not only will dedicated fans go to the home games, they'll go to the away games as well. And they will travel at cost and time and, and a degree of hardship going, going to places like Newcastle. And, uh, <laughs> anyone here from Newcastle? <laughs> um, and even further, the real die-hard fans will travel with the team abroad to Belgium or Ukraine or these places. They are the committed fans. You get where I'm going. Jesus wants us to be fully committed. So, are you going to be fully committed to Jesus? Have you ever made that full commitment? Today is a chance to say in your hearts, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of all my life. I want to do whatever you say. This verse has three principles in it in following Jesus. It says, whoever wants to be my disciples must first deny themselves. What's that mean? It means my desires are sometimes in conflict with God's. That may be sinful. Paul says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. And we're tempted, and, and we need to deny ourselves those sinful temptations. But sin is not just doing things that are wrong. 
Sin is also not doing things that are right, that we ought to do. And so I find I quite often hold back on things that God is prompting me to do through laziness and selfishness. And so maybe there's a prayer meeting which uh, I ought to really go to, but I've had a long day, I've had a nice meal, I just feel like putting my feet up in front of a TV and not going to a prayer meeting. That is, that is where our desires are against God's. And we need to deny ourselves and do what God asks. Second thing Jesus says is take up a cross daily. Now this expression, taking up the cross, is, is kind of widely misunderstood because people have this image of Jesus carrying this great big cross and it's very heavy. And so they think it's to do with carrying a burden. You know, you might have something that's very burdensome for you personally, like uh, an illness or a relative who is ill, or an elderly relative you have to look after, or a, a, a child who's wayward, or something like that. And, and, and people say, oh, I just have to carry that cross. I don't believe that's what Jesus meant by this expression. And the reason I don't is because elsewhere he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Mary brought that out in the communion last week. He wants us to give our burdens to him. He will carry our burdens. So we are not to carry burdens, right? We need to give them to him. So what does it mean, take up the cross? Well, if you look at this verse in context, Jesus had just revealed to his disciples that he was going to go to the cross and die and three days later be raised. When people in Israel at that time saw someone carrying a cross, they knew that the Romans had condemned that person to die. They were a criminal destined for death. So what I believe this is saying is Jesus wants us to be identified with him and be prepared to go wherever he goes, including to death. And many Christians in the world who have done that, who have become martyrs by following God. So we've got to be prepared to be identified. What does that mean in practice? We say we're a Christian, if people ask. Even if we get gypped for it, even if we get cold-shouldered, or spurned, or made fun of, we need to take up our cross daily, identify with Jesus. And the third thing he says is, follow me. Well, I'm going to unpack that a bit more, but another aspect of following Jesus is listening to his spirit. And later this spring, we're going to have four sermons, God willing, <laughs> on being led by the spirit. So we're going to look forward to that. But what I will be bringing out in a little bit is some of the practical ways from God's word in which we can follow. Why should we do this? You, you might be sitting here thinking, this is all very heavy. <laughs> this sounds like hard work. And 
I think there are many reasons, but I, I just want to pick out three. Because Jesus asks us to. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And if the Son of God is here asking us to do something, we ought to take note, oughtn't we? We ought to, we ought to do what he says. Second is, because Jesus gave everything for us, Jesus came from heaven to this world as a baby, helpless, in a poor family, and he grew up, he was maligned, he was accused falsely, he was arrested, he was tortured, he was put on a cross, he died for you, for me. He did all that. Shouldn't we want to give ourselves and give everything in return? Picture of an English breakfast there. You might be thinking, what's that got to do with it? You may have heard this one, but uh, the full English breakfast, there are two animals involved. There's a chicken and there's a pig. They both participated in the breakfast, but in different ways. One of them was a contributor, the chicken. The other was fully committed, and that was the pig. <laughs> That's total commitment. Anyway, the third one is much more positive, because there are rewards for us. There's no doubt that being a disciple, I, I can testify to that, being a disciple is rewarding. You know, God gives so much more than we could ever lose. And Jesus actually said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times more in this life, in the present age, along with persecutions, yeah, and in the age to come, eternal life. So, we get something out of it. My own Example of this is when I was 24. God gave me a desire to go to the Muslim world, to the Middle East. I got interested in Islam as a religion, and I wanted to go out there and experience the Muslim world. And I had the opportunity with some Christian groups and friends. But my problem was this, that I was 24, I was single, and all my peers were either got girlfriends or engaged or getting married and I thought that going to the Middle East would put the kibosh on that <laughs> because in the Middle East it's very kind of single sex single men and women don't mix very much and I thought there's no chance of me finding a partner in the Middle East well God has a sense of humor the irony was Whilst I was out there, I met a, a German lady by the name of Ruth, whom I think you all know is sat there over there in the red, and is my wife now. So he engineered it, that she and I would be in the Middle East in the same place at the same time. Had I not gone, um, I would have never met her. And the same is true for her. She, she was led her own journey. But God rewards far more than we give up for him. Right, I'm now going to go into very quickly six areas 
where I think discipleship is, is key. There are many more. This is not exclusive. And God might be prompting you about something else this morning. But maybe it's one of these. Firstly, baptism. In each of these areas, we're talking about following Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Jesus was baptised in the River Jordan by John. Baptism has a couple of aspects to it. One of, one of them is washing away of sins. It's a sign of sins being washed away and repenting. Jesus didn't need to do that because he wasn't a sinner. But the other aspect of baptism is actually standing up publicly and declaring your faith in God. And Jesus wanted to do that. He wanted to publicly go and he says, to fulfill all righteousness, I'm going to do this. So if Jesus did it, we should. If you are an adult here and you haven't been baptised in water and you've had the opportunity to, I'd suggest that you're not following Jesus. You're not a disciple. But you can remedy that because there is opportunity to do that. And in fact, in April, we're going to have a baptismal service here. These boards below and behind me are going to be taken away. There's a, there's a baptistry, as we call it, down below. You can be baptised if you are a Christian, if you're a believing Christian, and make a public profession of your faith. Second area. Oh, by the way, if you want to do that, if you want to be baptised, see one of the elders, they'll get your name down, they'll talk to you further about it and explain more. Second area, God's word. Again, Jesus set uh, an example here. You remember he used to go to the temple and talk with the teachers. He must have read the scrolls of the Word of God, which was the Old Testament at the time, because uh, he knew Isaiah, he knew where that scroll was when he, when he taught in the temple, in the um, synagogue. But most tellingly, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus could quote scriptures back to Satan. How many of us can quote scriptures? If we know and love God's word, we will get them into our brain. We will be able to quote them. Many Christians just rely on a second-hand knowledge of the Bible. So, for instance, many Christians have not read the Bible, which is our manual, our handbook for life. Just be interesting to find out. How, how many of us here can say that over a period of time we have read the Bible cover to cover? We know we've read the whole book. Would you like to raise your hand? Yeah. Well, that's great, actually. That's about half, two-thirds. But if you haven't, make it a goal, but not just to read a book. It's to be close to God, to, to ask him can I grow in a relationship with you? Teach me more. And I do appreciate some people have difficulty reading. That's 
Not a problem nowadays because God's Word is, is recorded. I've got a set of CDs. I am happily lend you where uh, God's Word is spoken and you can, you can hear the Bible being read. Many people have apps on their phones where uh, a, a verses come up and you can have them spoken to you if you're, if you're not good at reading. So let's, like Jesus, get into God's Word. Let's read it, study it, memorize it in order to follow him, to grow in relationship to Jesus. Next one is prayer. Again, Jesus set the example here. Jesus was always praying. When he chose his 12 apostles, he spent the whole night out in prayer in a quiet place where he's away from distractions. When he was healing people, he would pray over them. When he was destined for arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, he spent the time praying, knowing, I think, that within 24 hours he was going to be killed and died. How many of us would spend an hour or two praying? We'd be all worried, wouldn't we? But he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember his disciples couldn't keep up the pace. They fell asleep. And even on the cross, he was praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My prayer life is really weak in comparison to Jesus's. What about yours? Do you set time aside every day to pray? When we have a church prayer meeting, do you come? Do you want to come? We've got a half night of prayer this Friday. As uh, I think Ben pointed out to me, four hours don't really make half a night of prayer. It's just under half a night. But anyway, we've got four hours of prayer. And um, I know the elders have said, come when you want, go when you want. But my question to you, why can't you come for the whole four hours? Maybe there are good reasons. And if you can't, you can't. But, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I'll do an hour, or I'll do a couple of hours, well, why, why not just stretch yourself and come for the whole four hours? Because prayer is good. God loves us praying. And we need to be deeper in prayer, and I do too. Next area is family. Now, almost everybody here, I'm sure, is part of a family. I've put a picture up there of a family argument because I don't know a family that doesn't argue over something at some stage. Families are funny things. I think John Cleese wrote a book, didn't he? Families and How to Survive Them. Um, you know, we're all peculiar. What was Jesus' example in family? Did you know Jesus had a big family? Uh, he had an earthly father who disappears off a record. We think maybe Joseph perhaps died in Jesus' teens or twenties. But he had a mother. He had four brothers. He had at least two sisters. So he was one of at least seven siblings. So I bet they had family arguments. But... There's a couple of instances in the Gospels where his family put pressure 
on Jesus. One was when he wanted to go to Jerusalem, but he was just judging the timing, and it says his brothers didn't believe in him. Okay, so his brothers were a bit kind of cynical, and they kind of goaded him to go too early, I think, so that he would make a fool of himself in front of the crowd. That's my, my reading of it. But anyway, his brothers were trying to get him to do something which he didn't want to do. There's an even more telling incident, and it's very close to this passage in Luke, where he was in a house one day, and all the crowds were thronging him, and he was preaching and teaching, and they didn't even have time to eat. They were so busy. And his mother, uh, Mary, and his brothers thought he'd gone a bit crazy. And they came to the house, and they couldn't get in, so they sent a message in saying, um, come out, we want to see you. And Jesus turned to his disciples around him, he said, who is my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brothers. Which was quite a rebuff, actually, to his parents and his brothers. Jesus knew that what he was doing at that point in time was more important than conforming to what his family wanted him to do. And for some of us, our families put pressure on us as Christians. And that can be in two ways. One way is they may want us to do things which we're not comfortable with. They may love having family drinking sessions and we don't want to get drunk. They might have a little deceit going on with the tax man. They might be slagging off the neighbours and want you to join in and slagging off the neighbours, or your aunt or some other family member. There's all sorts of things which we need to resist joining in. But there's another way in which they put pressure in on, on folks, and that's to not do what God is asking you to do. They might not want you to be baptised if you haven't been baptised. They might not want you to come to church. They might not want you to go to a four-hour prayer meeting. They might not want you to do what God wants. So the question is, are you under the thumb of your family? And that can include your spouse, can include your parents, can include other family members. Are, are you, do you do just what they want or do you do what God wants? Are you under the hand of God? Next area, must move on, is relationships and sex life. And again, Jesus is an example here. Jesus was what we call celibate. He was single, and I'm sure he never had sex. And the reason I say that was because had he had sex with someone, it would have been found out his whole ministry would have been uh, undermined and ridiculed. So being single and celibate is a model that Jesus took, and other disciples of his, Paul Barnabas, did the same. And that's a great model for life. Absolutely great to be single, has many advantages. Equally, Jesus recognised that married life is the other model 
And he talked about how, going back to Genesis again, a man leaves his father and his mother and joined his wife and the two become one flesh. So Jesus was clear that sex within marriage and a married life is the right way forward. And that's a second model. But today, that isn't the standard of the world, is it? And we are bombarded with temptations to have multiple relationships, relationships outside of marriage, relationships with the other sex, with the same sex, goodness knows. And the internet is full of pornography. And certainly all you men here, you'll know that is a big temptation. Actually, Jesus spoke about internet pornography, even though it wasn't invented. He said, <laughs> if anyone lusts after a woman, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what are we going to do? Are we going to play around, either on the internet or physically? Or are we going to follow God's way? Okay, last thing, telling others. And again, Jesus set an example here because he went round proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. And you might say, well, that was Jesus. He was the son of God. That was his job. <laughs> and he was. Um, but his disciples have their own story to tell. People that he healed, like the blind man, just stood up and said, I don't know who Jesus is, he said, but one thing I know, I was once blind and now I see. The man who was healed of leprosy, he said, go and, go and tell the priest. The man who was cured of demons, he said, go to your own town and tell them how much God has done for you. So I just call it telling others. We're not talking evangelism here. We're talking giving our story. New Year's Day, Rose stood up here and Bob asked her, are you a Christian uh, now? And she said, yes, I am, in a loud voice. That is all she needed to do. That is all we need to do. We just need to tell other people, I'm a Christian. And you can say, I used to be miserable, I used to be whatever. Now I'm a Christian and now I'm fulfilled. Now I have a family of people who love me. You can say all sorts of things, but it can be just very simple, telling others what God has done for you. Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Scary verse. So are you, are you looking for opportunities? Are you praying about friends, neighbours, family who are not Christians? Are you looking for a chance to tell them your story? That's being a disciple. And just to put a plug in here, uh, one thing you can do in addition is bring them to hear an explanation of the Christian life through the Alpha course. We've got one starting 
this Thursday morning for those who can come in the morning and the following Monday evening uh, for, for those who can come in the evening. Bring someone along. That's the least you can do. Right. I've said enough. Um, six areas there I've pointed out. But the bigger thing is, have you made Jesus Lord of your lifestyle and your decision-making? There's a saying, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So I'd just like us to have two minutes now of reflection. Uh, if God has been speaking to you, what are you going to do about it? What's your response? Just, just have a time of silence. And in your heart, if God's been prompting you, make a commitment to him to be his disciple in some area.